This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Investors Roundtable. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. You can follow me on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. And we got we got an episode for you today. You know, I feel like, uh, you know, every uh, financial content creator right now is probably doing an episode on the Berkshire letter. And I'm so unoriginal that we're going to do the same. So <laughs> joining me right now is uh, a, a frequent guest of the show, friends, friends of the family now. You know, we got Stephen Keel from Arquitos Capital and Matthew Peterson from Peterson Capital Management. What's up, fellas? Hey, guys. Yeah, great to see you guys. Yep, good to be here. Thanks, Bobby. Now, before we get into it, this is my first time talking to Matt since my uh, my epic trip to Austin. Matt's based in Austin. And we actually got to see, we, we did a, a socially distanced hang and, you know, walked the, the frozen tundra lake a little bit. And uh, Austin's so cool. It's such a cool city. But damn, what talk about timing, huh? Yeah, that was uh, that was an interesting event, wasn't it? I mean, it was like a truly a natural disaster, and you were here for it. So we had uh, the coldest temperatures, and I don't know how long. And apparently, uh, we haven't seen snow like that in sixty years. So uh, yeah, we we were one of the lucky ones. We kept our power. We lost water for five days, uh, wow. and uh, but we managed through just like everyone else. So things are back to normal. It's about seventy-two and sunny oh. today. 72 and sunny. You hear that? I think that's nice. nicer weather than where Steven is right now in Puerto Rico. Yeah, the 72 is good. I'm in Puerto Rico. It's a little bit humid here. And uh, I don't, do you have roosters uh, crowing in the background in Austin, Matt? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, they're not in my current background, but they're around. So, <laughs> yeah. wait, no, Steven, you got to show the, you were saying there's a horse across the street. Yeah, oh, he gotta... walked away now, though. I don't know. I'm going to have to wait till he walks back, but I'm, uh, I'm in the west side of the island right now. I was in uh, San Juan, old San Juan and Condado for a few weeks and uh, came over to the west side a couple of days ago. And uh, it's a little more rustic here. A little more humid. Beaches is that are, like the Ponce? Uh, is it called Ponce, Steve? Or yeah, Isabella, uh, Rincon okay. uh, area. Oh, there's good surf there. Beautiful. There, there is. There oh, is. All right, I got to make it to that part of you. Yeah, because, you know, listen, I only asked because at some point I really would love to get comment from the horse on the Berkshire letter. Yeah, you he's know, looking I, over there. He, he got shy, I think. He walked away. He wasn't happy with the letter, I think was the point. Uh, he was disappointed, you know, that, that Buffett has... Um, some people have accused him of losing his fastball here and uh, the horse is going hiding in shame it seems like you know it, it, that i mean look if if buffett has lost his fastball i think he's like uh, the jamie moyer then of of uh, baseball where like it doesn't yeah. matter he can still be effect- he's still very very effective yeah absolutely yeah i mean so to get into it that that is you know i read some of the commentary here about so there was some disappointment uh, that Bloomberg article I thought was ridiculous, uh, where they basically you know, said, well, he hasn't made any comments about the pandemic and it was a tone deaf letter. Well, you know, you write the letter. You can say whatever the hell you want. You're the one who's in charge, right? Um, and to, to get kind of stuff thrown at you from the peanut gallery was, I thought, a little bit unfair. And uh, I, I, I thought that article was unfair. Other commentary I saw, you know, was speaking of, um, you know, that idea of him losing his fastball. But, you know, 
to your point, Bobby, I mean, uh, he is, you know, Jamie Moyer is the Warren Buffett of uh, baseball. Maybe you'd say that. And uh, I, I probably Nolan Ryan. I, I Nolan Ryan was, sure. I think, yeah, you know, or something like that. But no, Bill, Bill sure. Brewster, I, I, I can't remember if it was Bill or, or Jake or, or Toby that said it on value after hours. They're like, I mean, look, you're, you're going to Warren Buffett at 90. He was, he's probably way sharper than any of us would be in our like peak of our primes. So yeah. uh, like, chill well yeah and i think the idea <laughs> and the, the the feedback is you know look they haven't had any luck making major acquisitions uh the the idea of kind of uh selling all of the airlines and everything out coming out of the pandemic maybe not fully appreciating uh the power that the fed uh you, you know the fed actions caused such a, a dramatic v-shaped stock market recovery which i don't think any of us you know quite frankly um anticipated uh, but you know he he i guess there's a fear of missing out kind of thing from some of the commentary that uh buffett uh you know used the opportunity to buy back stock which was great during that time period but did not really make any new major investments yeah <clears throat> i think steve i echo everything you're saying and um and i've you know read all of the commentary about the letter and there do seem to be a lot of sort of uh, complaints coming from the peanut gallery, which I think is interesting. He's been writing these letters for so long, it's hard to come up with quality new content. But I think one of the most overlooked aspects of this all is that they're buying back 25 billion in stock. Uh, and they're buying back 25 billion over basically, mostly in the last few quarters. So they're accumulating a massive amount of their shares uh, and that's going to have, and face everyone's looking at their 13 app. They're seeing they're like uh, buying back, or I mean, buying into Chevron, buying into Verizon, but actually the cash buybacks of Berkshire Hathaway dwarf all of these other purchases. And they're just not recognized as much. Uh, I mean, it is a big impact to buy back 5% of your shares in a year. Absolutely. I mean, what, what's some of your thoughts as to what, what, why they wanted to do that you know is it i'm sure you have some some ideas on that i mean the uh the fundamentals are so strong and this has been a core holding bars for years and i know it's not some sexy position right they're not launching rockets and uh raising cars and things so it kind of gets lost among all the mean stocks uh but you know the uh fundamentals are the, the fundamental value of the business is so large in fact I went through in uh, our own annual letter that I released, I think a week ago, uh, and sort of wrote out the different components, broke it down like super, super simplified. And it's, it's quite amazing. It's like they have, I believe, and correct me if the numbers are off, but it's like 135 billion in cash, right? And they have somewhere around, I don't know, like 340, uh, or sorry, 240 billion in stock. And then they basically have this, operating portfolio, op their operating businesses. And if you subtract sort of cash and stock from market cap of like 550 or so, uh, you're basically going to be left with just a couple hundred billion dollars for all their operating companies. And uh, one of the surprising things that I also didn't see people pick out of the letter is that he compared the value of Burlington Northern uh, to the value of Apple. And uh, the Apple value is like 110 billion. And he basically said, it's a toss up between the two. We don't know which one's gonna be more valuable. Is it, is it 
uh, our Apple shares or is it Burlington Northern? Now Burlington Northern is one of about a hundred subsidiaries that they own, right? So everybody watching is gonna already know that they own, you know, Geico and all their insurance businesses and their energy, you know, businesses. They also have NetJets and Crew the Loom and everything else under the sun, Justin Boots. Uh, it's massive, Dairy Queen and Duracell. I mean, you can keep going. So they own all these subsidiaries. Bur Burlington Northern is 110 billion based on what Buffett wrote. And they only have 200 billion affiliated with all of the operating companies. That leaves $90 billion for the other 99 that they've accumulated over the last 60 years. Uh, that is just unfathomable. These operating businesses are earning like, uh, is it, I think it's around 22, approaching 25 billion per year in operating income. So throw that Burlington Northern back in, you have $200 billion to buy all these operating companies that are earning 25 billion. So you're getting basically, you know, maybe an eight times uh, earnings for Buffett businesses, which is just unbelievably inexpensive. It is such a steal. So of course, it doesn't surprise me that Buffett's taking as much capital as he possibly can and buying back his own stock because it's the cheapest company and cheapest opportunity that they have. Yeah, and the interesting part too to that is, um, and I guess that's where some of the negative commentary has come in, is why wasn't he more active in the end of Q1 and Q2? Uh, he became very active in Q3 and Q4. And, you know, I think Buffett doesn't generally call the bottom. And if you remember back in 08, 09, when he wrote that op-ed about, you know, about getting active in the market, that was the fall of 08. Uh, the, the bottom didn't occur until March of 09, six months later. And so, you know, he's never said he's, he's been good at, I mean, if you call the bottom, you're lucky essentially here. And it was fair for him and Berkshire to be uh, uncertain during that time period with all of the information on the economy that he was seeing through the operating businesses and his conversations there and, and the insurance exposure. Uh, you, you know, in, when you think about early Q2 and before the annual meeting where he was very cautious in the annual meeting, uh, you know, that's the reason why they were not more active at that time of the year. Now, once he be got more certainty, especially in the insurance side, that's when they started ramping it up. And I mean, I, I think Charlie Munger's hands were all over that, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I think they're looking at the alternatives and there's no there's no really major acquisition opportunity out there because uh, the, these companies that they potentially could have acquired are all significantly overvalued on a historical basis, given the conditions of the overall economy. And so the next best option out there uh, is, is Berkshire itself, as you indicated, Matt. I mean, it's, it's very cheap by almost any metric. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I, I do think, uh, you know, they were sort of getting prepared for uh, some distressed lending maybe following the same protocols that they implemented in 2008 and nine, uh, where they were able to get uh, quite, quite almost uh, onerous interest rates and payments from high quality firms. And the Fed sort of stepped in and took that all away from them. So, uh, you know, all of the totally. stimulus and all of the lending uh, made it very difficult to become that lender of last resort like Berkshire likes to be. Yeah, I mean, that's the competition. The Fed crowded them out. Mm -hmm. And that's the competition for the type of stuff that he did in 08, 09, uh, that he was unable to do now. And so, you know, I, I think, again, not to, I don't want to spend the whole time talking about kind of the criticisms and attempting to rebut them. But, 
you know, the lack of activity there uh, was frustrating. And I'm sure it was frustrating for him as well. But look, putting $25 billion to work, and it seems like, you know, it's been ramped up even more in Q1 uh, here this year. You know, that's, uh, that's a significant acquisition in and of itself uh, of Berkshire stock. Um, and there's still plenty of liquidity to go make a major transaction if something comes up. There's still significant liquidity to make big uh, passive investment stakes. Um, and the operating companies are still chugging along very well, uh, you know, as you indicated. And there's great reinvestment opportunity in them, both with Burlington Northern uh, and with the energy business. You know, these are two massive, massive businesses that if they were standalone, would command much higher valuations than with the credit they're getting within the Berkshire portfolio. Yeah, you know, Steve, what's an interesting soundbite. I, uh, I heard from a friend yesterday, and I haven't verified this stat, but they did a deep analysis of the volume over the year and figured out that Berkshire, if for them to accumulate 25 billion, it required them to be uh, almost maximizing their capability of purchasing and buybacks. So uh, if, if they're doing it all through the public markets, uh, they're buying back. It appears that they might be buying back as much as they possibly can. Yeah, I, I, I think that's the case because people don't appreciate uh, the different time blackout time periods, liquidity um, volume requirements. Uh, in the buybacks. And, you know, I'm involved in a, in a small public company and I was unaware previous to that involvement, all of the limitations that we have uh, in, in, you know, with, with those types of, of items, whether buybacks or uh, other, other transactions and things like that, the blackout periods. And so, you know, I, I, I would agree with that. I think they're as active as they can be aggressively doing everything they can to shrink the share count. Uh, and, you know, people, people who are not kind of traditional value investors don't appreciate that. But if you treat that as a set aside and say, look, he's buying $25 billion worth of a company at 8x cash flow, you'd be it's happy amazing. about that. It's amazing. That's right. Hey, let me ask you guys a question. You know, he, in, in the letter, he, he specifically had one section talking about, you know, uh, conglomerates and how Berkshire has been often labeled as a conglomerate. You know, why do you think he, what do you think was his purpose in bringing this up right now, considering the kind of year 2020 was? Anyway. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, look, I think there's a stigma with a conglomerate and there's always this known sort of conglomerate discount. And, uh, and he sort of, I think, wants to address uh, that in that section and sort of, uh, I, I sort of indicated that although they are considered a conglomerate, they're a very different type of conglomerate. And this is sort of a masterpiece that they've built over decades. And it's, and it's, uh, and it's quite powerful the way that they've structured it. Yeah, and compared to, you know, I think, look, you have to, for the record books here, uh, you know, for posterity, you know, it's necessary to have this description to show how it really was different than a Henry Singleton style of conglomerate. That's what he's referring to without calling his name out, you know, where you bid up the stock price and then you buy something uh, that's also overvalued, but a little, little less overvalued than your own stock, right? Now, Singleton, of course, who he respected a great deal, would, would do every angle of it because he would do that. The stock price is overvalued, buy something with stock a little bit less undervalued. And then you know, it would be become undervalued, he would buy back shares, you know, so that was, uh, that was what made Singleton 
uh, unique in, in that case. But most conglomerates who run that model don't do the buyback share part. You know, they take their overvalued stock and they use it to, to buy another overvalued company and they're creating value financially in that in the short term, and, but not in the long term. And it's not creating real economic value. And, you know, I think it was important for Buffett to point that out. Uh, I don't know that he has done it as succinctly or as clearly in previous letters uh, that I can recall, uh, although he has talked about it before. So, you know, I think it was a valuable thing to put out there for, for future uh, readers to understand how Berkshire is different than that. Gotcha. So what, what would you guys say was your, your number one takeaway? I mean, you guys have kind of given already a couple of takes here, but what would you say is your number one takeaway from this letter? And, and what, how does that make you think about then 2021 moving forward, just in general? Yeah, Bobby, yeah. that's a great question. Uh, you want to go ahead, Steve? No, go ahead. Go ahead, Matt. Yeah. Uh, so I sort of already alluded to this, but one of the key things that I found uh, just valuable in general was that he compared Burlington Northern's value to Apple because it put a price on one of the operating companies that you can then remove from the remaining bundle and price and look at and it just becomes so clear that things are totally undervalued and underappreciated. So I thought that that was really, really helpful. Uh, I also thought it was unique and interesting how he sort of documented the different types of shareholders uh, that own Berkshire Hathaway and sort of laid out this, um, sort of talked about how they still look at themselves after all these years of the partnership. They still really care about the single investor who owns a few B shares and is sort of letting, uh, you know, Warren and Charlie manage their capital. And, uh, and so th th there was a couple of really actually unique aspects to this letter that we haven't seen in other letters. Yeah, so I've got a helicopter flying over right now, so you might hear that noise a little bit in the background. So I'll take a little bit of a pause here. You know, I've got we got roosters, we got helicopters, we got uh, we've got uh, you know Ed the horse over here as well, who's still hiding. Um, but you know, to that to that point, um, the comments about Apple buying back shares and the value there was also an interesting aspect. Talking about Berkshire buying back shares and then Apple as well, and clearly he thinks Apple's buying it back at reasonable valuations because he endorsed it, right? So that's interesting. Uh, to me, the biggest takeaway, and you know, this isn't a deepest thing in the world, but it's exciting that uh, we're gonna have Charlie back on the stage uh, at the annual meeting and Buffett's traveling out there. Uh, and it's a little bit interesting, you know, we had Greg Abel on the stage last year and he said, you know, Abel, Abel and Jane will be available uh, for questions, but it's going back, it sounds like, to a little more traditional annual meeting uh, with, with Charlie and Warren. And I found it interesting that over the last five to seven years, they've been not very willing to open up the stage more to Ted and Todd and to, to Greg Abel and Ajit, um, that it still is at age 97 and 90, 91, it is still is Warren and, and Charlie there for six hours. Yeah. Cool. You know, I don't know, Bobby, I don't know if your viewers sort of uh, listen to these things for, for um, I guess, financial recommendations. And I guess this isn't really an, a recommendation, but I think people in general are sort of missing the significance of this opportunity. 
Uh, I, there are so many investors who would do extraordinarily well by owning more Berkshire Hathaway. Warren Buffett himself is taking a huge amount of his cash pile and dumping 25 billion into Berkshire Hathaway. And if you look at the map that I just laid out where it's like made up of cash, stock, and their operating companies, and you recognize you're able to buy Warren Buffett's hand-selected securities for eight times cash flow, it's just absolutely remarkable. And it doesn't take very much thought. You can you could literally put your entire portfolio, I think, into Berkshire Hathaway and probably do very well, most likely outperform the market and most likely outperform most professional investors. It's just an absolutely amazing situation. And along with that, there is, I'll, I'll actually add two quick comments that uh, there is a massive floor to this price because it's trading so low and it has these hard liquid assets. Uh, it's like there's asymmetry in the risk reward here. So it's really not gonna be a lot cheaper. They could just screw up everything and never invest another penny. And it's probably gonna increase significantly in price. Uh, there's a solid floor and on the upside, things can go pretty parabolic. It's not going to be your Tesla. It's not going to have volatility like Bitcoin. But, you know, uh, I think you can get some very nice teens returns for a decade and uh, with a very muted uh, downside. And it's just that sort of thing in this sort of uh, environment and with this level of safety is really rare, really uncommon. It's a huge opportunity for everybody. I mean, come on, you, you don't think Buffett wants to be a meme stock? I mean, you know, you think part of him maybe at some point is just like, I, I want, you know, I want to be on the rocket. I want to be on the, you know. I, I think if he buys Robinhood, that would be, then we know he's lost it, right? Um, <laughs> that, would, that would be pretty amazing. Wow. Oh, my gosh. That might be like the biggest financial news story probably in the last like 10 years. But, you know, but, I, think, I think we're yeah, in a situation yes. where it is a little bit like the late 90s where everybody thought he was out of touch, mm -hmm. you know, given in the environment. And that those accusations are coming again. And, you know, I think in a couple of years, we'll see just how right he was uh, when we do get some market corrections from some of those meme stocks. And Berkshire's still there chugging along, uh, buying back shares at cheap valuations that now then allow, uh, you know, when, when the tide turns in terms of valuations for a company like Berkshire, um, those buybacks yeah. are going to be seen as even more valuable. Absolutely. Now, you know, look, just speaking from experience, having had to make the long drive from Austin to Albuquerque, being a native Californian and barely ever seeing a Dairy Queen, I saw more Dairy Queens per capita than I think I ever have in my life. But yeah, that, I mean, that's neat. Gotta come to the flyover that. states. That's right. <laughs> that's where those Dairy Queens are. We were back, I, we almost stopped to get a burger, but we actually stopped at Sonic because that you don't see anywhere in California, or at least I don't know where we are. And, uh, you know, that, that is actually pretty good. Yeah, I mean, look, the ice cream, when I was a kid and they came out with uh, that, the flurry or whatever it was called, uh, that was a big deal for about five to seven years. And so, you know, we do have to appreciate the the reach uh, that that some of these brands have, including Dairy Queen. Oh, yeah. um, you know, so it, it, it is what it is. And these things keep keep getting valuable, especially the seas candies and things like that. But those are small potatoes, as Matt mentioned, relative to Burlington Northern and uh, and the energy. So, company. so let's have a little energy. Yeah. yeah. 
So let's have a little fun here. So, you know, as you said, you know, look, they have a major cash pile right now. You know, you're kind of joking about how, you know, uh, you know, we think he would lose it if he uh, went and bought Robin Hood. But what would be kind of the the most Buffett buy right now that would be current that's currently out there? You know, have you, I'm sure you guys have thought about this. Well, I think it'd be something overseas, quite frankly, some sort of utility company uh, or or some sort of infrastructure type play overseas. Um, you know, I, I could see uh, something in Eastern Europe or something along those lines. Um, but uh, I, you know, it looks like a tough environment here in the U.S. for any major, major acquisition, especially given what's going on in the SPAC world. <laughs> I was, I, I was yeah. just going to say that. <clears throat> yeah, you know, I think um, he'll do some bolt-on acquisitions, obviously, and he's doing what they call tuck-in. So all of the subsidiaries are sort of out there searching in their own vertical to try to uh, acquire businesses and, and tuck them into their own entities. Uh, but I agree, uh, some more international per purchases could could come around. The most exciting thing for me is seeing him buy back these huge amounts of shares. If he were able to put $100 billion into buybacks, do something private with all of his shares at the Gates Foundation, I don't know what it would be, but uh, that would be a, a huge catalyst for the shares, for earnings per share. Uh, and um, and so I like seeing him put this money into buying back the, their own stock. Like just buy, just buy more, just do more buybacks. If they spend hundred billion <laughs> on Berkshire Hathaway, I would be thrilled. Gotcha. Why are you so boring, Matt? Why are you so I'm, boring? Come on, let's have some fun. Out of touch and boring. We could invest in GameStop at one ten here That's and still right. have upside potential. And you're sitting here saying, I want to buy this boring conglomerate at eight x cash flow and uh with the 90 something year old guys at the helm um you know but know. a couple of years from now who's gonna the, the, yeah man we're know, trying to get views here win. come on yeah, man. The, <laughs> the the smart uh financial engineering now what's interesting is did you see the the, the little conversation between becky quick and elizabeth warren the other day <laughs> about, about so this is very right? interesting right yeah it is yeah. and yeah. i you know i i did see it and um thank god we have buffett because you know it is going to be difficult when he's gone who is the person who has the credibility to actually talk some sense into politicians who might not know any better. I mean, Elizabeth Warren clearly is off in her own world and, and doesn't completely even understand the issue. And there's a lot of, of uh, dishonesty in this argument. Um, but what she's trying to do, right, is convince people who are a little bit closer to the middle. And those people close to the middle have appreciated Buffett's comments in the past. And when someone like Buffett is gone and we don't have that figure and that credibility, um, there, there could be some issues there on the political front, and it's something I'd be worried about long term. So I think in some cases, uh, Elizabeth Warren is correct in terms of like inflating earnings to get a kickback for management through buybacks. But, uh, but what we're all looking at is these value-based companies that are buying back their shares because they're undervalued, and it just makes so much sense to do that. Uh, and it seems to be uh, completely lost on the politicians and yeah. the ruling I mean, you bodies. can't ban it outright. And I think Buffett is saying the same thing. I mean, he's disagreeing, right, with a, over uh, with the repurchases that are over uh, fair value. 
Um, but the result should not be an overall ban, you know, across the board. Um, and, you know, that's the problem. And this is what capitalism is, right? You have some people who give all of capitalism a bad name. And it might be a terrible system, but it's the best system out there, right, mm -hmm. to unleash human ingenuity. And so the solution is not uh, to come top down and ban short selling and ban buybacks and ban, you know, all of these types of things uh, would be horrendous for the economy and for the stock market and for smart people in the stock market. You know, because that's what we're talking about is these buybacks are extremely intelligent when done correctly. And oftentimes they're not done correctly, but fine. That's great for us to know to avoid those companies as smart investors. <laughs> you know, so uh, you, you, you want to be able to let the market pick winners and losers there and let smart investors decide for themselves. And I, that's not her argument, of course. You know, we always look at things um, for our fund in terms of these sort of these three lenses, we're looking for the highest quality managers, the highest quality business models, and then the greatest valuation. And, um, and the reason being, if you have a great business model, and Berkshire, of course, is, is built on this engine of insurance and having float and, um, you know, uh, uh, it's an excellent business model. Uh, if you don't have high quality management, and part of the characteristics of high quality management is being an exceptional capital allocator, and if you lack those skills, um, which naturally some people lack those skills, uh, you end up with poor capital allocation decisions with the cash flow coming from a great business. So management becomes essential when you're allocating these huge pools of capital. And, uh, and Buffett's doing buybacks in the right way. And there are obviously other firms where they're destroying value doing buybacks. But, uh, but it's just another way to look at this and, and think about the, the true value available at Berkshire Hathaway with this high quality management and business model selling at this really cheap price. Very good. Very good. All right. So, you know, let's kind of wrap the bow on, uh, I, I, I think we pretty much covered everything uh, with regard to this letter. I, the second part of my, one of my other questions was, you know, what does this make you now think, you know, in general, when you, when you think about 2021, you know, what, what, what's some of your thoughts on that based on just based on the letter itself? Yeah, I mean, so I think you have this dichotomy, right, between the Chamoths of the world and the SPAC world and those people who are interested in financial engineering and an overly hyper-aggressive approach. And then you have, obviously, on the far other end, you've, you've got Buffett here, um, who, you know, is aggressive in his own right, but in a, in a, in a safer way, okay? And to me, I'm cautious about the market as a whole. The economy is you know, it's still in difficult, in a difficult situation. And it's not the time here, I think, to be hyper aggressive for the market in general. You know, we're, there's a lot of speculation going on here. And, uh, you know, again, this, to me, this Buffett's approach and Buffett's comments and the, the focus on the buybacks and not kind of finding real other opportunities in the market at a major size is, uh, support in, in an indicator that now is a time to be kind of cautious as a whole and not, and, and you know, look, look more for real, real opportunities uh, and not just kind of own the S&P, for example. Now's not the time to do that. Yeah, I, I have sort of a contrarian view and I, but I, uh, 
and I guess I'll preface it by saying, and Steve would agree that nobody has a crystal ball and looking at sort of top-down macro factors uh, isn't usually very effective because there's so many exogenous uh, aspects and things, uh, you know, there are unknown unknowns that can pop up. But, uh, uh, and, I, and I agree with Steve that uh, I think broadly owning an index right now, now I'm actually quite bullish, uh, but I think that broadly owning an index, people have to understand that it, it cannot possibly continue on this trajectory we've had for the last decade. Uh, basically, over the last uh, decade, I think the S&P 500 has returned something like 16% annualized with dividends, which is just astronomical. Uh, and if you go and look at like uh, Stocks for the Long Run by Jeremy Siegel, and he's done analysis of like 200 years of data, you will see very clearly he lays out that decade over decade, very consistently, the markets return about 6.8% plus inflation. And by the way, that's the fastest growing asset class. So, uh, you know, if markets are going at 6.8 plus inflation and we just had a decade of 16%, I don't think it will drop off necessarily. I actually think there's so much stimulus going on that the market can do quite well this year. But I think people have a tendency to sort of project what they've just experienced. And there's a whole new generation entering the market. Uh, nobody's seen anything like 2009. Uh, none of these new folks have seen anything like 2009 or prior uh, crises. And it's just an unsustainable rate of return. So there's been this big push into passive investing. Now, all that said, we run a concentrate portfolio. Steve runs a concentrate portfolio. It's, it's, we're basically looking at bottom up opportunities and there are a handful of those. In fact, they're right in front of our face, Berkshire Hathaway being one of them. It's not the most exciting company, but it's core position that we own. I think it's a position that everyone can own. And, um, but I'll tell you not, I apologize for being so long winded here, but uh, there are a bunch of factors out there that lead me, I, again, I don't wanna be a talking head talking macro stuff, but I'll just throw out a few of these. I am shocked with all of the stimulus going on right now. And it makes me very optimistic about specific firms. There's some that are overpriced. You can avoid those. You don't need to buy the whole market. But I will tell you, there is something around $4 trillion right now that's sitting in money market accounts earning zero. So a big part of this is like the opportunity cost situation that we're in. So interest rates are so low, they're at zero. And if we get, I don't, nobody knows what's going to happen with inflation. Uh, there's this whole debate over whether we're going to have inflation or deflation. And there's so much stimulus. I think the objective would be to inflate our way out of some of the COVID debt. So if we do get a little inflation, I expect interest rates to still stay low because of the things and statements Powell has been making. Uh, and, and probably there will be a focus on unemployment numbers rather than on the just pure inflation. So if inflation were to tick up to three, 4%, I don't think that would make Powell move rates, which basically means rates are really low for a really long time. And you're, there's 4 trillion now sitting in money markets. Uh, and it was 2 trillion before uh, the pandemic, the whole market equity market is like 35 trillion. So there's cash on the sidelines that needs to find a place to go. So when we have things opening up, right? When we have, uh, I think there's a pent up demand and that kind of money, that stimulus will continue and that kind of money will flow into 
the economy, either in terms of direct spending, which inflates the earnings of companies, or direct investing. And the only opportunities that cash isn't going to go into treasuries, it will go into maybe some real estate and mostly equity uh, positions. So I, I think we're going to have a bumpy but very nice ride through 2021. And I expect that the markets will finish the year higher. Yeah, and I don't disagree that, that there's a strong possibility of that. I think when you talk about where is all this excess cash go to, I think it's going to go into a big a big garbage can and be lit on fire, essentially. So, yeah, you know, uh, through, inflation, in through inflation, is that what you're saying? Uh, I mean, yes, I think yeah. there's, there's going to be inflation. And so the place to be is in these hard assets and real estate and things like that. And yeah, I mean, we certainly could see even more of a melt up here through the rest of 2021. And even who knows the timing, it could last, it could last a few more years, right? Um, but there over the next five to seven years, the market is set up and even 10 years, um, the market is set up to have significantly lower returns because we have to get back to that average, right? And if there is inflation, we'll see, you know, there is contrarian version or uh, uh, perspectives as well on that, uh, especially from uh, my, uh, uh, you know, one of my friends, Keith Smith at the Bonhoeffer Fund, he's got some very uh, lucid arguments as to why there won't be inflation over time. But um, you know, from my perspective is that uncertainty um, should cause concern. And, uh, you know, just given the way that the markets acted in the last 15 years, 13 years, um, 12 years, the, there, will be, uh, there will be a lower than average return in the future until we get back to the mean. That's just how it works. Very good. Absolutely. All right. Well, I, I think I think that was a great place to end it. So, you know, with that, I mean, is there anything? Well, firstly, before all right, so we wrap the bow on, on Berkshire, our, our prognostication for 2021. But I have to real quick, Matt, I got I gotta I gotta ask Steve, because on our last episode, him and, and Tom Thomas Brazil were going back and forth and sharing the case for NTP at Nam Thai, and uh, they came out with some news the, yesterday, I think yeah. it was. So what well, we gotta give the people an update there. Yeah, happy to share that. So it's great news. Uh, it was what we expected for those who are following Namtai. Uh, the court decision came down. It was in favor of the activist investors. Uh, now, uh, the stock ran up a bit, but now it's kind of come down a little bit today. Uh, and, and the reason is that the reason why I think it's come down is because uh, the MTP, the, the company itself, uh, said they'll be appealing it. Now, the appeal process in BVI is not really like in the US. And so it will probably uh, end very quickly here. In the meantime, we have a shareholder meeting, a special shareholder meeting for the activists to get their vote happening in April. And that record date for that is March 15th. So what's gonna happen here is I think there'll be some forced buying. Um, we already, you know, we're already 10% up from uh, when the result came out yesterday, even after today's uh, drop, uh, but you know there'll be there'll be people buying in uh, ahead of the record date. Uh, there'll be ownership, uh, strong ownership and strong interest, knowing that uh, the activist investor investors in the special meeting will win, will win, and then there's there's value to be unlocked there at a significant level, significant multiples to today's stock price. So it's a great win, uh, as expected, but good to get the clarity. And uh, the next couple of months are going to be really interesting for Nam Thai, and it's at a 
in my opinion, a very reasonable evaluation. I've got a huge position in it. All right. Well, we're going to keep this. Uh, now, I, now I feel like, uh, you know, running a CNBC or something. All right. Well, that active story is ongoing. We'll, we'll keep, uh, keep tabs on that as uh, things develop. So uh, thank you for that correspondence, Steve. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, with, with, who are you? Are you Rick Santelli? Are you uh, are you Becky? No, Quick? No, are you not out? I think who's who's that? I, I think I said I was Carl Quintanilla last. You're time. Carl so I'll, Quintanilla. I'll, I'll, okay. I'll, I'll keep the I'll keep Carl Quintanilla. You're playing a little bit more straight. You're not Kramer. You're not. You're running it a little bit towards the middle. Let the guests be you know be the center stage and shine. There you go. Hey, man. Hey man, you know my style. That's how it's been going for the last what year or so. So, but uh, with with that, Matt, let's get your your final thoughts. You know, going forward, you know, maybe yeah, you want to touch thoughts. on your letter or, or or even touch on your letter that you posted. Uh, what was that last? It was last week. Right? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, it's full final thoughts. You know, so we did we did post a letter. It's up on petersonfunds.com uh, just this last week, and it touches on a few of the things that we've discussed here today, and uh, the topics were mostly around. Berkshire Hathaway. And I just, you know, I encourage folks uh, to take a good hard look at their portfolio. Berkshire Hathaway probably won't be the best performer in the entire market. Uh, but given what we've just explained that there's going to be this reversion to the mean in the indices where, you know, 6.8% plus inflation is the long run average. Uh, and we might have to be below that for a while to, uh, to basically compensate for all the strong returns we've had in the last decade. Berkshire Hathaway seems just like a beautiful place to park some capital. Uh, you just get this compounding effect uh, that I think will last the entire decade. And I'm pretty confident you're going to be outperforming the markets. And when you outperform the markets, uh, you outperform a lot of professionals. So uh, with very little effort, I think you can go out and, and um, do quite well if you stick to the bread and butter and some simple companies and uh, and Berkshire Hathaway is, is right there in front of us all. So I, I like it. I like this stock. And if you want to get aggressive, sell puts or buy, buy a, that's right. I, I was on it. I wasn't even going to, I was thinking about not even going there, but that's exactly how we do it. Uh, and that's what folks should be doing. They should be writing puts. You can go out a few months or a year and write a put with a, you know, uh, 250 strike and pick up a huge amount of premium. And you can take that premium if you want, you can buy some, some in the money calls and, uh, and do really well with Berkshire. Very good. All right. Well, Matt, where can people go and find more information on you and follow you on social media? Yeah. Uh, petersonfunds.com is our website, best place uh, to go. Uh, there's a lot of information and uh, you know, you can email me if you want to talk further and, uh, and uh, I'm on Twitter as well. So you can find that handle through the website. Very cool. Steve, final take, and then where people can find you. Uh, yeah, I was going to try to show you. I don't know if you can see the horse from here, but um, he's kind of hiding. <laughs> so sorry he didn't come out. He was here while we were talking before. Uh, you can find me in Puerto Rico. Uh, come to visit. That'd be great. Um, I'll be here for a few more weeks. Um, but uh, other than that, I'm around on Twitter. I'm on Clubhouse. Find me on Clubhouse. Find me and Bobby on Clubhouse. Yeah, Clubhouse. Um, you can just search my name, Stephen Keel, and we can have a conversation there. That's been a fun thing the last uh, few weeks as well. So good, good to be here and good to see you, Matt. Yeah, no, Clubhouse is cool. You know, I'm you just you explained to me offline how I can make it work now. So maybe we'll do one of these on there at some point. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, no, I'm excited to uh, use that platform a little bit more. But gentlemen, 
It was a pleasure. Again, everybody, you can follow me on Twitter at Bobby K. Crappy, O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. You can listen to the Investors Roundtable on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Wire. Or now we publish uh, uh, it concurrently, the audio version on the Planet Microcap podcast stream. So uh, go check it out there. Um, yeah, thanks, guys. It's a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, maybe I'll see you guys again next week. Hopefully Thank so. Thank you, Bobby. All right. Good to see you, Have Steve. a great weekend. See you guys.